Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another episode of the Bobo and Flex show. My name is Bobo and I am your host and I'm with the beautiful Flex. Flex, how are you feeling today? Do you want to introduce yourself? Hello world. My name is Flex. AKA Lillian, AKA Lil. I am the Australian voice on the show. I am, what gives people context? Okay, I'm an Aries, but but I have an Aquarius moon and a Pisces rising. So I feel as though there's some, just I'm not as unhinged as a full blown (laughs) Aries. (laughs) Like I've seen the way they move and it's, (laughs) <laughs> and it's their chaotic. levels, you know, it's too much. <laughs> I am an Enneagram 3, Wing 4, and a my, an ENTP for Myers-Briggs. Also, you've got a new Enneagram, Bobo. I know. Oh, my gosh. it's I keep putting it off, but I'm ready. No, I'm actually doing it tonight. Please. And then we'll discuss. Um, my chart, I love that you are, you said you're an Aquarius moon. Mm-hmm. That's very fitting. Isn't um, it? It is. That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel that. I, yeah, I'm a Gemini. I'm an Aries moon and See? a Gemini rising. That's why Bobo so, is almost is unhinged with the purpose to ruin your life. <laughs> literally. <laughs> there is no other my purpose. Chart, no, my chart is literally just air and fire with a little bit of like water <laughs> sprinkled in there. So. She came from the sea as a jellyfish, landed on the soil, turned into a lizard, Honestly. went to New York and said, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, Let's like terrorize. I'm ready to destroy <laughs> everything in my sight. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I am born to be chaotic. I'm just here to create havoc. Um, and it's not, it's just my birth chart. Like, it's not me. I can't help being an Aries moon and a Gemini rising, but that's what it is. Um, today's episode, we're doing another Q&A actually, but this, this week's Q&A is a deeper Q&A. We'll be answering your philosophical questions. We'll be spiraling a little bit and we'll just be getting into the deep end of the questions that we asked you to send us in our Facebook group, which if you haven't joined, you should join. Um, the Facebook group is called the Bobo and Flex show. So let's get into the first one. Um, let me pull it up here. I like this question. Is saying sorry more beneficial for your ego and self gratification? Rather than solving the issue for the other person. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have never, ever, ever, ever in my life experienced mm. a sorry that rid that me did of anything. all my pain. Literally. There's not, I, there's not been one moment that sorry really did what it should have. Can I tell you something? None. When None. I was younger, right? I'm just yeah. like, if anybody knows me, we will, people listening don't know me well, but one of the core tenets of my being is that I'm a sook, right? I'm a very What's sooky, a sook. A sook is like uh, a crybaby. Like, I'm oh. just, but that, the way that manifests is very different depending on the circumstance. I'm not a crier, but in the sense that, like, I take everything personally, I, mm. <laughs> I am, often slighted i'm often annoyed there are very few instances where i don't have a problem and i think i'm good at (laughs) i think i'm really good at self-governing and like masking as well and making sure that if i have issues the issues that i will fix for myself right and i remember when i was younger obviously was not self-aware but i would always complain to my mom just looking for validation, like, oh, mom, yeah. like, oh, I scratched myself. Oh, mom, my tummy hurts. 
And so she used to say this thing to me in tree, right? Which is like, if you're from Ghana, that's our language, tree. And yeah. the, the phrase is enyao, right? So she's like, come cuddle me and be like, oh, my poor baby, enyao, enyao. And I would, considering the, like, the intonation, I thought it was something good, you know, like, it's okay, or like, you're all right. But the yeah. direct translation is, you deserved it. So here I am. Wow, really? <laughs> my whole life, just being scammed by my own mum, who was like, get over yourself, sis. Like, you would not wow. have burned yourself if you were paying attention. You would not have had that annoying conversation if you had the right vocabulary to express yourself. Yeah. So I feel like how that manifests as an adult, hmm, like... It's just like any pain that I feel, I make it my point to share the discomfort, but also I trust that any healing and any resolve has to come through myself. I don't trust Mm, an I'm sorry ass bitch. No, me neither. Like, I love this question so much because I've never understood why people need I'm sorry so much. Like, I feel like there's also like a pressure for me to give you redemption like mm-hmm. no come up with a solution i just like when i've been wronged i just want solutions like i actually do not care if you're sorry if you need forgiveness i don't care i just need to know that you're not going to do this shit again mm-hmm. and i need to know how you are going to take the steps to not do the shit again and then but i think um I think there's such a thing as apology languages. Do you know what yeah. your apology language is? Making Let me look them up, actually. Yeah, yeah I think we, we did it we in, a, in so an episode. So my that. apology language, there's five. And so mine is yeah. making restitution. So if somebody has wronged me, what I hate more than anything is just a plain sorry. Because I feel as though that person is rushing to to not resolve, to, but to have things mm. appear normal. And I hate that shit. Yeah. Because it really minimizes yeah. my pain and frustration. So restitution yeah. is almost like uh, two-pronged, an acknowledgement of what has been done and then an acknowledgement of what needs to be done so this won't happen again. Yeah. So, like, let's say for some reason you have... Um, uh, what What's a good example of what requires a sorry? Oh, let's um, say like we're hanging out with new people and you've undermined me in some way. Maybe you've like shared too much information or you've told someone something personal that I wouldn't have shared or whatever. In yeah. my head, I don't want to hear like, oh my God, sorry, I didn't even know. I want to hear, sorry, this is what happened. This is how I know it's inappropriate. This is how I know it's offended you. And this is why I won't do it again. Like I'm mean, in the that. whole, the whole yeah. cycle of life. <laughs> Yeah. I also feel that people, like anybody who's in a position where you have to say sorry to someone because you've done someone wrong, it's so important for you to feel and sit within that discomfort of being the person who's wronged someone. I don't see why. Mm. Like, you know, the whole, this forgiveness rhetoric, right? I don't see why if you've wronged someone, they should now be integral to your healing. Get out of here. (laughs) Go and suffer alone. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's yeah. not fair deal with it on your own if it's gonna take how the person you say, you've wronged <laughs> more time how can you say go suffer alone <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me like what do you mean i hate a bitch who's like i know you're mad but i just feel so sad that i felt you no 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 no, no. no. <laughs> i don't want to hear it no thank you enjoy <laughs> oh my god yes like wow no mine is also definitely restitution like i just need to know what you're going to do next time to make sure this never happens like Mm -hmm. but similarly to you i hate a bitch who's like oh now i feel bad that bitch go feel bad over there like over there (laughs) like far away from me honestly Anybody whose apology language is just like admission, like I did, I did something wrong. Mm-mm. Whose side? Are you I don't on? get it. Literally, like, <laughs> just acknowledgement. Ah, I hate it. What did that do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> who is this for? Yeah, I I think I'm a very solution oriented person, so I appreciate solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to apology, not when it comes to like 
me venting or anything. Yeah. Um. Okay, here's another question. What would you consider the perfect religion if you could design one? I don't think fundamentally there's anything really wrong with any of the religions that currently exist. It's the people, right? It's how they've modernized it, internalized it, and practiced it. That's the issue. Because like, I can open the Bible and oh, see some shit that so? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously a lot of the translations and I just think the issue with a lot of religions is the people, but mm. with the religions themselves, they've not been modernized to consider what we live like now. But like the Ten Commandments right. still go very hard. I'm sure I could open the Quran and, and he, like read something that hits, you know? Facts, facts, I'm just not yeah. that concerned with like switching that shit up. Yeah, I think, honestly, I kind of think the perfect religion is Buddhism. Buddhism, right? Yeah. Yeah, only because it it doesn't force you into it. I feel like a lot of religions are just a proverbial gun to your head. If you tell someone that if they don't subscribe to your religion, they're going to burn in hell forever. How is that not fascism? Like that I I just don't believe in fascism. Um I think religions like if you truly believe that your religion slaps, then it should be democratic. Like people should be allowed to flow in and out of it as they wish. Um, so yeah, I think the perfect religion is Buddhism. I think humans need illusions, which is just something I'm only coming to terms with now. So I think if Buddhism lied to humans a little bit more, then yeah, then that would be good. But yeah, I think Buddhism made some points. What do you, do you think that, you know, when religions have like an omnipresent, omnipotent figurehead, you know, someone that sees all, does all, hears all, do you think that's better or that's good or the alternative where there is not a God, like you are the God, similar to Buddhism in the sense like, should we be relying on this omnipresent figure or should people, Mm. should the pressure be on the individual? That's such a good question. Because I think this idea of an omnipotent figure, yeah. like, I don't think people should be fearful, but I love a consequence for action. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I just don't think that humans as they are, uh, have enough range to do and be good for the sake of others. Like I definitely resonate with this idea of like, do this good thing or because else. you want to yeah. or else. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like put the pressure on and then suddenly you know we're all showing up for each other i think that i I also like in a practical sense i like the idea of looking within and you being your own god your own source of direction and light yeah but like what our brain tells us to do in certain instances like (laughs) i don't think we can trust it somebody's brain is definitely Mm. telling them to go and commit crimes to go yeah quote unquote to go and rape, pillage, murder. You know, that's what their God's telling Yeah, them. yeah. So I'm just like, mm. but then it's also unrealistic the same way that putting, putting like a president or a one person, a figurehead in charge of millions of people and hoping that it'll work. I'm just yeah, not understanding yeah. how this one single God or God-like figure is meant to be able to govern all of us in a fair and equal way. Hmm. That's such a good question. I actually... I think I don't agree with the idea of an omnipotent God who judges and like who hands out the consequences. I think I more so believe in the idea. So I think the reason why Buddhism slaps is because the consequences won't come from outside of you, but they will come because of you. So there's this idea of like in Buddhism, there's this idea. I mean, it is fundamentally rooted in the idea of karma, which is like, the law of cause and effect, like Mm. whatever you do, bitch, there'll be consequences. So I think that when people are looking to themselves, um, as, as a source of direction, as opposed to looking to someone else, then there's also like a level of autonomy and accountability that you don't have when you're looking up to a deity to govern your life and Mm. to govern your actions. I also think the reason Another reason why Buddhism slaps is the idea of like, it's this idea that you don't need a God because 
all of us are all this one collective. So if you do some trash shit to someone else, you're doing it to yourself too. Yeah, I like that. So <laughs> knowing that humans are trash and selfish, if you tell a human that actually you're interconnected with everyone else, so whatever you do to them, you're doing to yourself too, then I feel like there's more of an internal incentive to do better yeah. as opposed to like... Yeah, as opposed to like, oh, if I'm an individual and that nigga's an individual, then there's less of an incentive for me to do better. I like that a lot. Mm. See, I think that's the bit that's resonating. Like (laughs) this idea that, um, yeah, to actually see or be, what's that? I'm trying to find, I don't know what movie it's in. Is it the black box, the box? Anyway, it's a psychological thriller. Yeah. And basically people get delivered this black box to their house. And if you press the button on the black box or whatever box, your wildest dreams will come true, but then somebody will die. And so Ooh. a lot of people, when they're grappling with their decision-making, they're kind of like, well, if I don't know the person, then like, is it that big of a deal? Yeah. And I think the twist is that it's someone that you know, or like you die. Mm. I don't know. Oh, oh shit. Either way, it's super juicy. But I I think, you know, not that I expect that in this, you know, made up religious world that if I hurt you, then I feel that pain. But being more accountable for what you do and how you do it uh, and the pain that it causes. Maybe it'll be a sad existence, but at least you know that there's incentive to do better. Yeah, that... I think what religion aims to do is to like force people to have empathy when they, yeah, I think religion is designed to control people and the only way to control people is either through fear or empathy. So I think Christianity is choosing fear. Buddhism is choosing empathy. I think like ruling through fear when you have to, like when you get into power through fear, you also have to maintain your power through fear. Like, I think the idea of a Christian God is a bit violent. Like the idea, like I'm going to condemn you to hell. You're going to burn in hell for eternity. It is a bit. If you, yeah. Like, so (laughs) because you're a man. (laughs) (laughs) So because you sucked a guy's dick, like now you're burning in hell for eternity. Like, it's so dramatic. I was uh, watching a TikTok that said that up until like the 1940s ish, um, there was no mention of homosexuality in the Bible and that they had just swapped the word pedophile for homosexual. Wow. I didn't fact check it, but I believe it. No, I believe it entirely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Entirely. Do you think they did that because so many of the pastors are pedophiles? hundred percent. Wow. <laughs> That's like crisis communications. That's PR Right. <laughs> No, it's wild. It's actually wild. Yeah, I think when you come into power through violence, you also have to maintain your power through violence. So I think the reason why a lot of religions just cause a lot of violence is because they're maintained through violence. Like if you're maintaining power through coercion and fear and shame and guilt, like you can only, the the result can only be violence. So I would like a religion that was like less ambiguous as well. Like not mm. that I want more rules to govern my life, but I'd love to get a clear example of what an upstanding person looks like and what is good decision making and what you know, just like Ooh, clear okay. examples of like ways to be, ways to think, like ideologies, because it's all pretty vague and this up yeah. interpretation shit is just it's just the demise of humans because we've been playing with yeah. language and relying on imprecise language to absolve us of any like guilt for our behavior. You know what I'm saying? So mm. like, <laughs> I remember having, uh, talking to my boyfriend because he was raised Catholic and I yeah. was trying to explain to him that he wouldn't be going to heaven. Just my personal opinion. <laughs> And he was saying, I absolutely will be going to heaven because I just need to go to church and um, what's that thing they do? They, like, you know, talk to the the priest and, like, confession. That's it. Just need to get confession and that's all good. You just tell them the bad thing you've done. 
Oh, and so then, I can go murder someone and exactly. then come back and be like, I'm confessing, <laughs> yeah, I'm good now. I repent. Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to do it again. And then you might do it again, but then you can get forgiveness again. I'm like, that doesn't right. sound right. That doesn't sound right. So not that I want more punishment, but I just want clear directives of if right. it's important for us to be better, what is better? Because at this point, right. like, don't kill is very vague. Because I've been eating meat, so is that not on? Is that on? Let me know. Yeah, literally. <laughs> the cockroaches that end up in my house, I will use bug spray. Is that good or not good? <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. No, I agree. We need more specificity. Mm-hmm. I also think religion should just be more fun. Like, Oh, yeah. You know, like church doesn't really... So- okay, Christianity made some points with the idea of like community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think... The idea of community and like beauty, like the the fact that like so many churches just look so good. Like you guys really painted the ceiling. Mm-hmm. You really painted the ceiling. Like you really painted the glass Energy. on the windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes, bitch. That's like being house proud. You know, I've really like yeah. people who are house proud and put and see the value of making sure that any space that you dwell needs to be a sanctuary. Yeah, you know? honestly. <laughs> no, honestly, like, yeah, I think they made some points in that regard. But I think, like, religion should just be more fun. Like, there should be games and there should be, like, music that's slide. There should be outfits, you know? Ooh. Um, wow, I can't wait to start a cult. This yeah. <laughs> actually is going to be so lit. <laughs> Where do we draw the line between cult and religion? Do we really draw the line? Honestly, I don't think we do. Like, so my boyfriend grew up Seventh Day Adventist, mm-hmm. which actually is a cult. Mm-hmm. And we just did an episode on my Patreon about like the experience of growing up in a cult. Mm-hmm. And it was very intense. And, but also like something he said that was really interesting is that like when you're in a cult, you don't really realize that you're in a cult just because. You're just like hanging out with your friends. Like yeah. you just think this is a community. You just what's the difference? But then like they, <laughs> yeah. But they like literally govern every aspect of your life. So it's definitely a cult. But wow, yeah. There's there's really no line. Yeah, I don't know if it's even necessary. I think it's all semantics, right, to draw the line. Because mm. isn't I mean, hold on. I think there are some fundamental differences. If we want to be pedantic, there are yeah. like really specific definitions for cults that mm. religions don't have intrinsically. Like there needs to be a clear power dynamic that's intended to demean you, the separation of individual from family. These are characteristics of cults. But yeah. Those things can be seen in religions, but doesn't make it a religion. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I think Google could help that person out with that question. But I think yeah. some questions get asked to, like, be not be facetious, but, like, my pet peeve with deep questions, deep, serious questions, is that mm. a lot of them just serve to be confusing. Like, there's no real practical... <laughs> Even if we had a practical answer, is it really beneficial to someone's day-to-day to know the difference between a cult and a religion? And if they really right. wanted to, yeah. would you not just Google it? Yeah. This yeah. is why I no, love I feel getting you. asked silly <laughs> questions because at least you can use a very critical lens to answer a silly question in a more interesting way. Right. But then I find that deep questions always turn really unproductive because it's like, well, do you really want the answer? Is it worth us lamenting over language? Or is it just another fun thing? Um, yeah, no, I feel you. But let me read out some characteristics of cults in case people mm. want to know. So um, the group displays excessive, zealous and unquestioning commitment to its leader and regards his truth, belief, system, ideology and practices as the truth, as law. Questioning, doubt and dissent are discouraged or even punished. Um, the leadership dictates sometimes in great detail how members should think, act, and feel. The Mm. group is elitist, claiming a special exalted status for itself, its leaders, and its members. The leader is considered the messiah, a special being, an avatar, or the group and or the leader is on a special mission to save humanity. 
The group has a polarized wow. us versus them mentality, which may cause conflict with the wider society. The leader is not accountable to any authorities, unlike, for example, teachers, military commanders, or ministers, priests, monks, and rabbis of mainstream religious denominations. The group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary. This may result in members participating in behaviours or activities they would have considered reprehensible or unethical before joining the group. The leadership induces feelings of shame and or guilt in order to influence and control members. Often this is done through peer pressure and subtle forms of persuasion. Subservience to the leader or group Mm. requires members to cut ties with family and friends and radically alter the personal goals and activities they had before joining the group. The group is preoccupied with bringing in in new members. The group is preoccupied with money. Members are expected to devote an inordinate amount of time to the group and group-related activities. Members are encouraged or required to live and or socialise with only other members of the group. And the most loyal members, the true believers, feel there can be no life outside the context of the group. They believe there is no other way to be and often fear reprisals to themselves or others if they leave or even consider leaving the group. Wow. So there you go. Obviously, those characteristics can be seen in religions, but it doesn't make every religion a cult. Yeah. Causation, blah, 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 blah. Wow. There was actually a cult-related question um let me bring that up yeah someone also asked do you think it's someone's fault for becoming a part of a cult or being part of any echo chamber example sincerely believing a conspiracy theory with extensive counter evidence how responsible should we hold participants versus instigators of cults and groups like that that's interesting. What so essentially she's asking... Fault, like, if something bad were to happen to them, then it's their fault? That doesn't sound right. Just, like, is it your fault? Like, if you're part of, like, the QAnon, mm-hmm. the QAnon group, like, is it your fault for falling for that shit? Or, like... Or, like, remember there was that group... Um, I think it was a cult where the leader convinced everyone to kill themselves. Yeah. And they all did it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, is it your fault for joining that? Or is it the leader's fault for for enticing people to join? I think that fault is the wrong word to use here. Mm. You have a responsibility for the actions, but fault implies that you're the cause of the situation or the issue. Right. Like, because you believed... Now this is what has to happen. That doesn't sound right. But yeah, if yeah. you actively choose to believe certain things, despite there being mountains of counter evidence, then if something were to go wrong, you're responsible for being in that situation, but not at fault for what happens to you. Right. Right? Yeah, I also think, yeah, I would believe that. Um, there was this show that I really love called The Leftovers, and it's oh, basically it's about... Oh my god, literally my favorite show of all time. If you haven't watched The Leftovers, go watch it immediately. Yeah, it's very good. Um, yeah, but for anyone who hasn't watched it, it's basically a show about what, how humans deal with grief. Mm-hmm. And like, it basically the plot, the plot of the show is that one day, 2% of everyone in this town just disappeared. 2% of everyone in the world just disappeared and no one understood why or how. And one of the results of that was that this cult came about. And it was this cult that I guess was trying to make sense of everything that happened. <laughs> that they were just a really nihilistic cult. And they would just they would just sit around and smoke cigarettes all day. Because I guess their philosophy was like, what's the point mm-hmm. of doing anything if nothing makes sense? So I think what I... Like when you watch that show, you realize that like it... It really is no one's fault. It's all just circumstantial. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many events that lead someone to A, become the type of person who starts a cult. And then B, there's so many events that lead up to people becoming prone to joining cults. Like, I feel like you have to have a really big void in your life. And you just find a cult that fills that void or that gives you just some sort of solace or like comfort. 
And I think that's all it is. I think cults are just like a group of people seeking solace and comfort and someone being like, I have the answer. Like, bitch, it's me. And And that person is just so charismatic. That's it. I don't think it's unusual to be attracted to a cult. I'm sure if people were far more organized, we'd have far more virtual cults than we do right now. We could make a cult if we really wanted to. (laughs) No, we truly, like truly. I think it starts with the fact that a lot of humans are always looking to an outside voice to give direction direction and to justify or rationalize any of their actions the way people are so drawn to leaning on complete strangers for direction and advice is just a breeding for some malevolent person to come swoop in and say you want more of that i got you yeah yeah honestly also i mentioned earlier not not a lot of people are well-rounded enough to um discern dangerous behavior from healthy behavior and that's just on facts so i feel as though given the right circumstance i mean we we like we tread that line every day between dangerous and like "Mm, fine enough that we won't die that i just don't doubt the average person would be discerning enough to be like you know what i'm not gonna join this cult i also think that like as time goes by cults will start to take on different forms we're all looking for that really obvious like Scientology, Jonestown fucking like we all live in this commune and do this and do that. But I think it takes very little for us to start peddling somebody else's ideologies before we know it. Look at the way people have been radicalized by the internet. It takes you no time to jump onto Twitter. Yeah. See some fucking like regurgitated phrase like, you know, marginalized community, systemic oppression, blah, 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 blah. And you start reciting yeah. these words before you even realize what they fucking mean. Yeah. Before you know it, you're a vehicle for someone else's ideology and you wonder how you got there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what cults come down to, no, I think what cults demonstrate about human beings is that humans just want the least common denominator. Like, Humans want to exert the less, the least amount of effort into doing anything. And what a cult leader offers is you don't have to do anything. Like you don't have to think for yourself. You don't have to make any decisions. I will do everything. I will organize your entire life for you. Just buy into me. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at Trump and like, because I think what Trump is about to do, <laughs> I think he's gathering his little army of followers I, because he, at this point, he's a cult leader and he's going to rally them up and like start or try to incite some sort of civil war. But I think Trump does that really well where he just, he's re- he knows that he's really funny and he knows that he's ugly enough to be relatable. He's dumb enough to be relatable And he uses that to his advantage to like start a cult of people who just believe in everything that he says for his own means. Like, and his line is always like, what do you have to lose? There's this speech Trump gave when he was still running for president back in the day. And he was like, black people, why not vote for me? Like, what have the Democrats done for you? Like, what do you actually have to lose? Your neighborhoods are shit you're all poor, you're all trash. Like, what do you have to lose by voting for me? And I think that, like, that is, like, essentially what a cult leader is. A cult leader just tells people, bitch, I will do everything for you because what the fuck do you have to lose? Like, nothing. Do you think you'd ever start or join a cult? I definitely wouldn't start one. Too much pressure. And especially now that it's a crime. (laughs) Like, the things that yeah. people would be made to do under your, I don't know, under your lead. It's just like, nah, I don't want to be accountable for that. I'd definitely join a cult, though. Really? Yeah. I like the idea of having direction. Yeah. Direction. What type community. of cult would you join? I'm not sure. It'd have to be one that was like, I can definitely imagine joining one when I'm retired and looking for, like, some sort of sense of purpose and value. Um, yeah. But I think, like... Is it a cult? Is it a friend group? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. I just think that, like, I could imagine being in, as someone getting older, especially when you don't have access to 
just the same networks that you would have had when you were younger, you definitely get more desperate for connection. And I don't mm. think that you'd be able to be as discerning about what connection is good or great for you if people oh, are peddling the same fucking jargon. Imagine yeah. a cult was like, you got to critically think, you got to analyze, you got to like, you know, put in work to be the best you you can be. And then you get there and then suddenly everyone's like, and now also we're the second coming of the aliens. I'm like, well, I'm just yeah. for the ride. <laughs> yeah, that's real. I think I will start a cult one day just for funsies and just to see how that goes. I think we'll just eat mangoes and like have sex and eat food. It'll be so fun. Someone yeah, let's idea. <laughs> <laughs> let's move to the next question. Um, oh, someone directed this question at me, which <laughs> which was, does Bobo find any conflict in being vegan and having a pet? I know you guys discuss the idea of owning animals, but is it conflicting to be vegan and own an animal? That's a really good question. I personally, I think dogs live such good lives. Like, dogs live better lives than black people. So, oh my god, <laughs> they really do though. She like, Gwyneth, <laughs> like Gwyneth Paltrow's dog lives a better life than any free black person. Like, you don't have to participate in capitalism. You're not a slave you actually get treated by respect you have like you get treated with like dignity and respect by white people and society um people actually care about your well-being people society's invested in your health um and your life is just luxurious you just luxuriate all day you get to go on walks you sleep and you fuck all day like being a dog is so good that i just can't I can't conceptualize why it wouldn't be ethical. Like dogs, unlike cats, I think cats are a different story. I can't tell if cats actually enjoy being alive or if they like want to kill us all. But dogs seem to be so happy to be alive. So yeah, that's how I justify that. Do you think it is ethical to own an animal? I mean, I'm not really an ethical bitch, so whatever answer I give is not going to be the one that sates this person's curiosity. I don't give a shit that people eat animals. I don't give a shit that people own animals. Fundamentally, you know, like I could have surface issues that I'd need to unpack. Like, for instance, I hate when people touch other people's dogs without asking. Like, you know, you're sitting... The the amount of people I see who'd be like sitting at a cafe with their dog and then random yeah. people just stop to touch the dog and don't address the owner. Like there's layers there that I need to unpack. Yeah. But that shit pisses me off. But on an ethical level, I'm just not that fussed. Yeah. By a lot of things actually. Because I understand <laughs> like I understand the um the contradiction of feeling so strongly about things where my lifestyle uh, contradicts some of those things that I would outwardly, outwardly feel. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. So yeah, that's the answer to that question. Um, another question here is, is it possible to have a true identity or is it always in flux and we just shouldn't bother attaching ourselves to any idea of our identity? Can you repeat that one? Um, so the question is, is it possible to have a true identity or are our are our identities always in flux and we just shouldn't bother attaching ourselves to an idea of our identity? I guess oh. this person is asking is, I guess what they're asking is, if we are always changing and always in flux, then is it even possible to have an identity? Like if I'm a different bitch today than I was last year, then what's the point of attaching myself to any identity does it have to be like does your identity have to be one thing because like if i'm trying to reframe the question in my head so it makes sense and that's like somebody saying do you still have a body if your weight fluctuates or is there even a point of identifying as having a body if your weight fluctuates it's like well it's still a body so if your identity is always in flux then it's still an identity uh, is that what oh. people are aspiring to do? Have a, like a soul 
like concrete identity? Well, so I think people, so people will attach themselves to race and like someone will be like, I'm queer, cisgendered, black, um, indigenous person of color from Australia. Like those are all of the identities. So like, is there a point in having any of that? if you are never the same person over time, you know, like, what does it mean? Yeah, like, what does any of that mean if? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Throughout time, you keep changing. I guess it's more so about, I don't know if this person is referring to like political identities, like race and gender and class and all of that stuff. But assuming that she is, yeah, I guess the question is like, do any of those have any meaning if we're never the same over time? Like, does it make sense for me to call myself a woman if I change over time? Like, yeah, I think that's the question. Mm, I don't know. I'm still stuck on this idea that identity has to be fixed to be valid. oh interesting just the nature of like being a human is evolving in some way like you have to evolve you have to change you have to grow and this idea of it being in constant flux i wouldn't internalize as being a bad thing but just a fact like there's no way you're going to remain the same person like even if your circumstance never changed and you had the same friends and lived in the same place and did the same things fundamentally you're still going to evolve your identity yeah yeah because your identity is just the amalgamations of the things that you do i'm not sure that many of us are mature enough to have an identity outside of our output like we just are what we do (laughs) Mm, i actually don't think the average person identifies themselves by what they do but rather by like what society's told them they are you know what i mean like i think i think it would make more sense if people identified themselves by what they do But I think people identify themselves by like these markers of identity, like race and gender and sexuality and, and, and. Like I'm trying to process the question to understand like the point. Or like I'm trying to understand like who, who made us feel that this journey to discovering your true identity was one that was meant to be linear I'd always just kind of assume that who you are in this moment is as you as you're going to be. And if you happen to change, then that's who you are in that moment. And that's also fine. Yeah. But I think it's maybe how each person is internalizing what their identity is. Because like I mentioned before, I think a lot of people just are what they do. You are your output. That's your identity. And then as you grow, you realize the intersections of like, oh, your culture your gender, your lived experience, your belief systems, all those things are your identity as well. But I'm not really sure where each of those start and stop. Oh, interesting. So you're saying that the idea that identity is fixed is flawed. And because of that, like if identity is always in flux, then like, of course it makes sense to have identity yeah, that makes sense. But I, I think, know. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I just think the vast majority of humans I don't see it that way. But it would make more sense if they did. Um, okay, here is a relationship question. <laughs> can you date someone who isn't ambitious? Or can one person in a relationship be ambitious and the other one lazy while the relationship still thrives what is a thriving relationship all these questions like are vague yeah the questions are vague but also you can definitely 
see um like they're not neutral questions they've definitely been written yeah. to prove some sort of agenda so i'm like yeah yeah is this is a personal issue that you want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that one i think is a no i think bums have to date bums and ambitious people have to date ambitious people otherwise it's just a fundamental incompatibility like yeah i oh, mean I the know. way i see it i think if you're in a partnership one of you is ambitious and the other one isn't i feel like it's just going to be an issue for the ambitious person i feel like people who aren't yeah. ambitious don't really harbor resentment to ambitious people i think ambitious people harbor resentment to unambitious people because oh. if you are dedicating that much of your life to doing and being better i'm sure there's a big part of you that assumes that everybody should do that in the same way i think yeah. it's also the same reason why people resent people who are fitness uh, buffs or vegans, any kind of belief that requires a change in habit or personality really does. Yeah. It's hard to separate that from the people who surround, who you surround yourself with. I think it takes a lot of maturity to be someone who is convicted and to not hold the people around you to that same level of conviction. But mm. I definitely think it's a, it's a personal problem for ambitious people. Yeah, I even think the person who's not ambitious would resent the person who is ambitious because then, like, you resent that person for dedicating their time to something that isn't you. <laughs> and you, like, probably can't understand why. Like, you're just... Like, if two people have such widely different... um, Widely different priorities, I'm not sure that could work. I do wonder when it comes to raising kids though I wonder if two people with widely different life philosophies can raise a kid like harmoniously so like if one parent is a bum who is like no I don't believe in hard work I don't believe in capitalism I'm just gonna bum it out and then the other parent is like a hard-working capitalist I wonder if, like, the two can raise a child harmoniously. Do parents need shared values in order to raise children? Let's get to that when we get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the question being partnerships, I guess you'd also have to, like, interrogate what you expect from a partnership anyway. I think that... If your partnership is completely symbiotic and you are what they are, they are what you are, and your your paths must go in the same direction to be valid, then I'm not really yeah. sure how having such a, a distinct difference in ambitions is going to be beneficial in any way. But also, mm. I think there is a way to be ambitious without letting that ambition become the basis for your personality and purpose. So, like, I'm sure, like, for instance, if you are someone who is uh, an athlete, right? But yeah. But you can compartmentalize sports from your lifestyle. You go right. play the sport, you win at the sport, then you come home and you do life. Then I'm sure that's fine. I, I doubt, like, NFL players come home and think, fuck, my partner is a lazy piece of shit because they can't yeah, someone yeah. or whatever you do in NFL. I don't know. Um and yeah. so I feel like that's a natural separation of self and output. But I think often if you're looking at career uh, in like academia or like tech or whatever those things are, where the direct, the correlation between you being successful is like you developing your like mind and personality. I think often like people are their thought, they're not necessarily yeah. their body. So like if you are doing something mm. that makes you ambitious physically, I don't think that's necessarily perceived the same way as if you're doing something ambitious using like your thoughts, because it's hard to separate your thoughts from who you are, but you can separate your body from who you are. Like for instance, I'm not someone who is very physically active, right? But I don't think I'm a lazy person. I can like reconcile those two separate things, but in my brain, right? I can't reconcile the fact that, um, Like, if I say that I am interested in self-development and I don't develop myself, I can't reconcile those two things. Yeah. So being someone who is ambitious in, like, a brain sense, not even an academic sense, but a brain sense, I think it would be an issue long term. 
I think mm. also like, yeah, I think it, it gets to any point in a partnership, especially if you're talking about someone who's completely ambitious and someone who is not ambitious at all. If the two parties can't clearly understand why the other party isn't like them, then that's going to be an issue. I don't necessarily think it's the ambition in itself. So if yeah. an ambitious person can't fundamentally understand why ambitious person is the way they are, and if ambitious person can't understand why unambitious person doesn't dream of labor, then that yeah. is the issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I I think I compatibility is really hard because it's hard to tell if compatibility is created or whether it is just there like is it something that precedes a relationship or something that is created within a relationship and that's like a chicken and egg question and oftentimes I feel like it is created within a relationship so it's like hard to answer questions like this can you repeat it again slowly my brain didn't didn't capture (laughs) (laughs) the question yeah yeah can you date someone who isn't ambitious can one person in a relationship be ambitious and the other person lazy, but the relationship still thrive? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, and yes. Like, I don't think... Like I said before, I feel like people give themselves too much credit. You date who you can, not who you want. If you, <laughs> if, if it so happens that you are an ambitious person and you've attracted yourself an unambitious person, then yeah. I'm confused. Secondly... <laughs> secondly a relationship thriving what is your criteria for a thriving relationship Mm, is it okay can it it be harmonious but again what is your criteria for harmonious is it someone defaulting to you letting you work as much as you need to pause okay i've returned yeah if your criteria for a harmonious relationship is very clear then i'm sure it's possible but these all sound like I don't know. I feel as though like the, the leading answer is like, no, it could never work because one person will always want more and the other person will always want less. And they're not going to understand. But fundamentally, if you have, if both parties are really aware of their relationship to, to doing stuff and one party is very sure that like they want to do stuff and the other party doesn't want to do stuff and you're both clear and comfortable with that, then what's the issue? Mm. Especially dating. Like we're not even talking like, a marriage partnership or a long-term thing if it's common common dating then like (laughs) i think some of us need to be reminded like what actually matters and like in this instance if it actually matters to you then don't date someone unambitious or vice versa but if it's a if it's a preference then i'm sure you will learn tools and stuff to you know make that work for you yeah i don't know i think I think ultimately the answer is it just depends on the person and how deep that is. This depends on also like what is your love language. Um, If it's quality time, then this probably will not work. But if it's something else like (laughs) gifts or like words of affirmation, then it could. So, yeah, I think it's 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 a little complex. Um, Is it complex? I think that's part of the issue. Like, Mm. I think that people, young people especially, make relationship structures too complex. I think if we were looking for simplicity, a lot of us wouldn't date and sleep with the people that we do. But I think we're not not smart enough for that, you know? We, like, (laughs) how many people do you know, right? How many people of colour do you know who have slept or dated with racist people? Dated with. Slept with or dated racist people. Too many. How many yeah, ambitious yeah. people, smart, ambitious, well-rounded, emotionally intelligent people do you know who are dating, currently have dated or have slept with people who cannot string together a sentence, are completely inarticulate, lack emotional intelligence too often? So what yeah, it shows to me is yeah. that we're not actually looking for simplistic, harmonious partnerships. We're just looking for partnerships. And if we were smart, we would find those, that kind of satisfaction in platonic relationships. Our issue is trying to almost like merge and reconcile these really incompatible things all at the same time. 
Mm, in the fa- in the name of desperation. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think what it is is like how do I put it? The performativity of courting versus the realness of dating. Yeah. It causes a lot of pr- like yeah. I think because because people are desperate to be in relationships, you perform to be someone's partner that once they've once you're now dating, you take off the clown suit, you take off your stage makeup and now you're yourself. So you were por- you were performing ambition just to impress someone and now that they're dating you, now you've shown your lazy slob self. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, that's a big and one. And that's where I a lot like of the problems... Be yeah. the People really get it. Because it's so true. I don't think it really anybody is. brings their entire true self to the courting period of dating. And that's only yeah. because... I don't, I don't think it's by design. I think that when you are given the opportunity to be better and to, to rise to the occasion, you will. Um, yeah. But that period is short-lived because it takes too much energy to be better. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. People, you know, people aspired to be better their whole lives if it was possible to do yeah. it once and have it be done it'd be fine i also yeah. think that that courting process is very much results based so what can i do in this moment to guarantee the result that i'm looking for and i feel like a lot of us are smart enough to know exactly what needs to be done right so like let's right. say you go on a date with someone and you can tell that they're going to be overwhelmed by you being extremely opinionated. You might start soft and be like, you know what? All humans deserve rights. And then by, <laughs> by five months in. <laughs> You're like, euthanasia should yeah. be legalized immediately. <laughs> Am I wrong? I don't think I'm wrong. No facts. No facts. <laughs> No, but this is why I bring the big guns to the first date. Like first date, I'm like, bitch, let's talk about death right now. Like, because I just, I don't, I, I don't like wasting my own time. Like, I don't enjoy it. I just want to know what we're getting into immediately. Like, I, I don't want to go on a second date to be like, okay, now I can be myself a little bit more. No, like, you're going to get, we should all show up to dates with our bonnets, <laughs> with just looking the way you look on a casual Tuesday. Like just actually be your full self with your full chest on the first date. See, but the thing Always. is, I think to be human is to perform. And I don't think most of us, I think you can rec- you can recognize performativity in retrospect, right? Mm. Think about, you know, I like to reflect on, when I first came into the understanding of social workness and the kind of rhetorics that you start spewing before you actually fundamentally realize what they mean. Think about in any time when you showed up to work for the first day, performance, when you meet your mum's friend, performance, when you meet your best friend's parent, performance. Because, I mean, I don't think people think it's a performance. It's just like the curse of respectability, right? And appropriate behavior. That's yeah. fundamentally performance, but what we say is it's necessary. The ends justify yeah, the yeah. So I think when it comes to dating, a lot of us just like do what needs to be done and then realize that in doing what needs to be done, we've now attached ourselves to the idea of people and they've done the same. Right. That's the thing. I just think when it comes to human relationships, the stakes are too high to perform. <laughs> like, we should perform at work because like the fuck is work. Like it's really just work. Like the quality of your life is so contingent on the quality of your relationships Mm. that like the stakes are just too high to be performing. Like having a shitty romantic partner or having shitty friends just poisons the rest of your life. So it's just not even worth the performativity. Like, rather just be single you know what i mean see i don't think performing is the worst thing i think it's when people get lost oh, in their it? own source and don't realize they're performing ah. i think have complete agency to play a character if it makes you get through your day easier whatever you want but when people get yeah. so lost in the performance that they think that the caricature they've created is them 
holy, that's the problem. And you see it so clearly. Like, any person who think who thinks that they found themselves in high school performance, if you're oh, still having yeah. to, like, <laughs> if you're still, like, walking into spaces and being highly aware of what language to use, what you can and can't say, how you can and can't look, you're performing. Sometimes it's safety, yeah. you know? Sometimes it's just harm reduction, self-preservation. But just know yeah, when absolutely. you're doing it. Don't convince yourself that this is the real you. It's okay to be a fraud, <laughs> but be a fraud by choice. Yeah, I think something that concerns me is the lines have been blurred so much because of social media. I think for so many people, especially Gen Z and millennials, your entire identity was developed in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. So all you know is to perform. Like, it's actually all you know. And I think, like, I I can't wait to see the studies that come out 20 years from now <laughs> about how damaged our brains and sense of selves are because we spent our entire, our entire de- develop developmental years just performing in front of a screen there is no other generation that spent their prime years performing more than us and I just wonder like what does how does that affect the way that we relate to each other because like do people know when to switch off and when to switch on it's really it's madness and maybe don't find out because that might be like the bane of your existence. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> and just like don't look past the veil if you're not ready. Bruh, bruh. Um, maybe let's do one question. Mm-hmm. Here's one that is okay. Well, it's two in one. We'll we'll make this our last question, which is: Is having or adopting children ever really selfless? And the second question is, to what extent do we owe our parents? Or rather, I would frame that question as, what, if anything, do we owe our parents? Yeah, thoughts on the selflessness versus the selfishness of having and adopting children. Is adopting children selfless? Yeah, where's that narrative coming from? I think people see adoption as morally superior to having children because Mm -hmm. the argument is, well, okay, you're having children, you're bringing them into this dumpster fire of reality and life is suffering right, and right. it's selfish because like, why? Like, you just want to see a miniature version of yourself running around. Like, what is the reason? Mm. So people then see adoption as morally superior because instead of bringing a new human into the world to suffer, you are helping an existing person suffer less. Which I don't know that I fully believe in that. When I think about the intention of why most people adopt kids, like, okay, I immediately think of Madonna and her black child and how creepy that relationship seems to me. Mm. But the vast majority of people who adopt kids, you're probably adopting because you weren't able to have kids by yourself anyway so it's not necessarily a selfless act um it could be motivated by the same reasons that you would want to bring your own kid in and then i also think about like in the same way that a lot of charitable actions are actually for the ego as opposed to the charity case itself i think a lot of people might adopt a child just for them to fulfill their own just for the just for their ego to like fulfill its own needs to feel morally superior when i look at the way that madonna uses her black adopted children on social media as just like tools for her own clout i'm like this is clearly not selfless like there's this one you know when the george floyd riots were happening mm. Madonna really had her black adopted son dancing in front of the camera, dancing on Instagram for her people. It just seemed so like, David, come and shuck and jive for your people. Like, I just, it was so creepy. There's something so creepy about like Madonna just clapping and laughing at her black, her dark-skinned black child dancing for white people on social media. I, it, it's just, 
I see the way. I just don't know that anything is selfless. If anything, I think bringing a child into the world is selfish, but raising a child is selfless. But even then, maybe it's not. But I think that that's the extent that it could go. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I've never looked, never thought people who chose to have children were selfless. Like I just mm-hmm. always thought that having kids was like the equivalent of being like, I want to buy a dog because the dog will make me <laughs> yeah. have fun. Dog will make me smile. Dog make yeah. me have fun and enjoy life. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that really is it. Like, I just, I, I definitely agree. Like when I think of people adopting kids, the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, that's so nice of them. Like, yeah. But then very often it's people who might struggle to conceive um, without assistance or they're infertile whatever it might be so yeah yeah and i don't have much to add to this one like i'm sure yeah, it could no. be selfless to adopt a kid if you've got enough time in your life to be completely philanthropic then sure just add it to the list of charitable things to do for someone yeah <laughs> yeah but i'm sure for most people adoption is a very um genuine means to um you know having a kid thanks for listening and join us next week where we'll be discussing if having kids is ever selfish or ever selfless follow us on facebook instagram twitter at bobo and flex and we'll catch you next time bye planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.